we are now on the um, final week of our vision and mission series. Um, so far we've talked about um, what our vision is, which is to raise up the next generation of godly men and women, full respect, uh, who are three things. Godly. Thank you for that. Secure, active, and fearless. Close enough. That is very close. I'll pay. You get 10 points. Gryffindor, or whichever your favorite team is. 10 points. Who are secure, active, and fearless in living out their faith. This youth group, and any church that you're a part of, really, is just to help you know Jesus more and make him more known. Okay? But we do that by actually getting you into the Word of God so that you actually know what you believe and why you believe it and how it applies to your life. That's the most important thing. And we want to do that in four ways, okay? We want to be the lighthouse for the lost. We want to be a people and a place that points people to Jesus, that actually lives what we believe and shows it to the world around us so that they can actually see, hey, who is this Jesus guy? Because everyone I know who's a Christian, instead of it being like what it is in the media where, oh man, if you meet a Christian, man, they're going to be like the worst people. Instead, make it so that when they find out you're a Christian, they go, man, like everyone I meet who's a Christian is just an unbelievable person. Like, What is it about these people? Everything I've, I thought about them was wrong. You change people's hearts. God does that through his love and through his grace. But by you actually following him and being like him in your day to day. We want to be the lighthouse for the lost. Here and outside. We want to be the hospital for the broken. We want to be the people and the place that people, when they feel the weight of their sin, when they feel the weight of life smashing them, they think, I should go talk to my Christian friend. Because that's where healing is. And we can point them to Jesus in that moment. Is that how people think about us right now? Is that how people think about you right now when they're going through something? Man. Because that's what happened. When somebody was broken, they came to Jesus. They crossed Seas and they cross deserts just to touch the hem of his cloak. Do people think that way about his church? We represent him. Can we be that for them? Right? We want to be the barracks for the army. It's the place where the army lives, trains, eats, sleeps, enjoys, trains, right? Before they actually go out to the fight together. They do everything together. That's what it means to be an army. And the armory is what we're talking about. And that's for the soldier. That's the room that's full of all the weapons that you take on your way out of the barracks to fight the actual war. Okay? But before we do that, let's pray and we'll get straight into tonight. Lord, we thank you that there is an armory, Lord. We thank you that um, you've given us weapons to fight this fight with, Lord. Um, you didn't leave us helpless um, against our sin and everything that would seek to take us away from you, Lord, but you gave us effective weapons of warfare, Lord, and we want to be a place and a people that is prepared, Lord, to be who you want us to be in this world and to fight for the truth um, at every opportunity, Lord. So we just thank you um, for what you've given us, Lord. We pray that you'd open our hearts and our eyes, Lord, and that we would see ourselves the way that you want us to see ourselves and that we'd see you the way that we should tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so straight into it. 
What is an armory? I explained. It's a room in the barracks. Okay? The barracks are like this big compound where people who are in the military live. Civilians, normal people, normal citizens, don't spend any time on an army base in a barracks. Okay? That's not their place. The barracks are for an army. So that should already tell you something, right? And that room, the armory, is the room, if you can imagine it, you're, you're about to go out to the fight, and there's just rows and rows, shelves and shelves of grenades and guns and tank shells and all that kind of stuff, right? That's where you armor up before you go out to fight. That's the armory. And we're saying that part of who we want to be as a youth group is the armory for the soldier, right? Which is you and me, right? Soldiers don't stay in the barracks forever because we talked about the barracks last time. Soldiers live there, they eat there, they train there, they do everything there, but they don't stay there, right? That's not their permanent place. It's where they learn to fight, it's where they rest, it's where they recharge, it's where they get ammo again, but then they go out to the fight from the barracks, right? Remember, only an army lives in the barracks or stays in the barracks. So if we are the barracks for the army, that means we are an army. And there's no such thing as an army that has no war. Otherwise, why would you put an army together if there's no war? Or if there's no possibility of a war? The fact that God has put us together as an army means that he's called us to be soldiers. So there's a war, right? So now the question becomes, if we're soldiers, what's our war? And who's our enemy? And if you don't know that after tonight, you're going to leave here and continue to get smashed left, right, and center in your Christian walk. Because you're not aware that you're a soldier who's in a fight. And it's a fight for your life. And if you're not aware of that, all the stuff's going to be happening around you, and you're like, oh, what's happening? I don't understand. Hopefully this will shed some light on that. The Bible teaches that we have three enemies and that we have three main weaknesses. Okay? And I want to tell you what those are tonight. But let's start with this war that we're talking about. What is this war? Okay? Turns out, this war that we're fighting has been around long before any of you, any of us, were born. Any of us were born. In fact, it began before Adam and Eve. Let me explain, right? I want to read you this absolutely crazy piece of the Bible. Isaiah 14, verse 9 to verse 15. It talks about this man who was called the king of Babylon, right? And God wants to judge him because he's been an evil king. But it turns out, God isn't just talking about this king of Babylon guy, he's also talking about Satan himself. Right? Let's read it together and you tell me what you think. The realm of the dead below, or in my Bible it says hell, is all astir, or is anticipating your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed, or the dead, to greet you. All those who are leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who are kings over the nations. They will, they will all respond. They will say to you, you also have become weak as we are. 
you have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, which is another name for Satan, by the way, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, get this, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I will make myself like God. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. You know how it all started? It started like this. God made everything. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see Him creating stuff. Let there be light. Let there be you know, oceans and mountains and everything. And at the end of each day of God creating stuff, He says, and it was good. And then He gets to the end of His creation, and then it's mankind. And then He says about us, the only thing He says this about, and it was very good. Creates everything, including the angels. And he says, good and very good about us, right? Satan is one of the angels who God creates, okay? He creates him to be beautiful and powerful, to bring glory and to bring praise to God. Think of Satan like the leader of the worship team of heaven, okay? He's got harps and instruments in and on him. I don't know how it works, but he was made to bring great glory and praise to God, okay? Satan looks at himself and starts to feel himself a bit. He's like, I, I'm actually, like, I'm the best. There's no one in heaven like me. You know what? I reckon I can actually take on God himself. I actually think I deserve his position. I think I can do his job better than he can. So he does something crazy. He leads a third of the angels of heaven into a rebellion, into an open war against God in heaven. They lose, they get thrown out of heaven. And that is the fall of Satan that you hear described there. Right? How many of you had heard that story before and knew that that was a thing? Okay. That's what happened. So here's the deal. Satan gets cast down to earth, and he saw God create, and he knows... That God called everything good that he made. And then he called human beings very good. And he knows that he can't touch God. He can't get to him. He's too big. He's too powerful. He's lost. He has no chance against the creator of the universe. So what does he do? What do they do in every superhero movie where they can't actually get the superhero? If you want to get the Spider-Man, who do you go for? If you can't get the Spider-Man himself. MJ, if you can't get Superman, who do you go for? Lois Lane, those of you old enough to remember Superman, right? If you can't go for Batman, I don't know who Batman loves is weird. He kind of is a bit of a lone wolf, right? If you can't get to the person directly, you go for what they love and value the most. So Satan, in his fury and his rage against God and everything that God made, goes out and makes it his mission 
and life purpose to destroy and shatter and ruin everything that God, God calls good, especially you, because God called you very good. And he says that he made you in his image. And he says that he loves you. And that he says that he will redeem you and die for you and restore you. So it's like, oh, I can't read. You love, you love him. You love her. I will destroy her. I will destroy him. So it's like God has just finished creating. Satan leads the rebellion, gets cast out of heaven. And it's as if when God finished creating, he just finished laying the finishing touches on the Mona Lisa. And what Satan's doing is grabbing a big bucket of black paint, running as fast as he can, splashing it across the canvas, getting a brush, and smashing the black into every corner of that painting that he can. That's when the war began. Okay? So Satan, in his rage, right? He's not going to be enraged in front of Eve. Why the heck would he do that and just scare her away? No. Comes to her, all nice and quiet, all chill. Let's have a conversation, Eve. Right? But before he has a conversation, let me tell you a little bit about what Satan is like. Let me read you some of the names that the Bible gives him in Scripture. It says this, Satan is called the dragon, the evil one, Beelzebub, or Lord of the Flies, in case any of you read that in uh, school. The serpent of old, the prince of this age, the adversary, the prince of demons, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That's you. The spirit of disobedience, the deceiver of the world. Abaddon or Apollyon or the destroyer or the angel of destruction. The father of lies, the king over the demons, the tempter, Lucifer. Okay? If you're going to buy, I don't know, like a TV from anyone, right? Would you buy a TV from this guy? Or would you go to like Harvey Norman and you'd be like, no. Like if this guy, a guy like this, who you knew was like this, came to sell you a TV, right? Would you want to buy it? Or would you like suspect with this description that there's probably a bomb inside it? Okay? There's probably a bomb inside it. Eve didn't know that. Not yet, right? But we do, and guess what? We still fall for it. Satan hates you. I can't say it any clearer than this. Everything that he ever gives you, every gift from Satan, none of it is good. He is not capable of good. Everything he gives you is just to enslave you and see you suffer and point at God and say, this is who you love? This is who you saved? This? This? It's his favorite thing. To sit and whisper in your ear and watch you destroy yourself. So we're going to find out a little bit more about that today because we are in the war, whether you know it or not, and we need weapons. Otherwise, we're going to get smashed by this, right? So, we hear the intentions of Satan, just so you know, John 10.10, 10, if you can just pull that up, Steve. John 10.10 10 tells you everything that you need to know about Satan. And every time you get tempted, and you go, man, wouldn't it be great if I gossiped right now? Wouldn't it be great if I could watch some porn before I like, sleep tonight? Wouldn't it be great if I could do this? Wouldn't it be That little whisper, remember that the person giving you that whisper is this person. The thief only there's no other motive. There's one. Only comes to steal 
and kill and destroy. So if he's making any suggestion to you at all, it is so that he can steal from you your joy, your peace, your everything else if you're a believer, so that he can kill you or so he can destroy you. Okay? That's what he wants. Welcome to Satan. So what happens? Satan meets Eve in the garden. In Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7, please, Steve. He meets Eve in the garden. Who's with me so far? Respect. He meets her in the garden, filled with this rage of losing the war with God. And so he's like, okay, you made her, you love her, you love Adam, sweet, I'm going to destroy her. Okay? So, this is what he does. Now the serpent was more crafty, cunning, devious, okay, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, again, the serpent is Satan. This is insane. The first recorded words of Satan in the Bible ever to any human being at all are these three words. Did God fall? Really say? The first thing out of his mouth is to make you doubt what God said. And if you don't even know what God said to begin with, well, you're kind of stuffed. Because anything that he says to you, you'll just accept it. Because you don't know what the truth is. You're naked on a battlefield. And everybody has swords and shields and spears. And you're standing there waiting to have your head cut off. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Right now, God did say that. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, which is right. But God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you'll die. Okay. Hey, she got it right. Test one passed. What does he do then? Just lie. He'll just lie. You will not certainly die. On whose authority? God told me that I will, but you're telling me that I won't. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Hey, God's trying to keep you from being like Him. He's trying to keep all the power for Himself. Which you have to remember is what Satan thought about God Himself when he went and waged war against Him. I want to be like God. God doesn't want me to be like Him. He's hoarding all the power for Himself. I'm going to take that throne from Him. So He goes and sells you the same rage that drove Him to attack the throne and rebel against His Creator. When the woman, and here's the kicker, when the woman saw, why did you start looking at me? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, here are the three weaknesses that we have as human beings was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And that is what we describe as the fall of man. When sin separated us from God for the first time. It started there and Jesus had to die to end it. Okay? What do we learn from that? When Satan comes to you, the first thing he does is question the word of God. Right? 
Did God really say it? You sure about that? You sure that God said it? Satan knows the Bible, guys. Satan knows the Bible better than you. Do you know your Bible? And when he whispers to you, do you know who to believe? Do you know what you're holding on to? And if you go, no, this is what God says, he'll just start lying. Because it's, it's, Jesus says that Satan, to him, lying is his native language. That's his first language, lying. He'll just lie. Right? Watch porn, it'll make you feel great. Sure, for how long, what, this, this long, and then what? It'll make you feel great afterwards? Go with that friend. Do this thing. Do that thing. Send that picture. Cut yourself. Kill yourself. You'll feel better. Satan will sit there and lie and see who's going to accept it. Because he wants to kill, steal, destroy, cause general pain, suffering, damage, horror, evil. He doesn't have anything else to give. So we learn in this passage that we got exposed in three areas. We can see through E because we're the same. We have three weaknesses. Who's still with me? Okay, respect. Okay? The three weaknesses are found in Ephesians. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here it is, here are the three. The lust of the flesh. She saw that it looked good. Right? Uh, sorry, she saw that it would be good for food. The lust of the eyes. Saw that it looked good. And the pride of life. She saw that it would be good for making her wise. Right? The lust of the flesh this will be good for me. This will satisfy some deep need that I have. I just need to smoke that cigarette. I need to go out with this guy. I need to watch this video. What a, I need. It's good for me deep in there, right? The lust of the flesh. I want this for myself. The lust of the eyes. This looks good. The pride of life. I am God. I want to be God. So even though he says this is evil or this is going to hurt me, I want to take his place and I'm going to set myself up on the throne and that is the pride of life. Those are the three things that every temptation you've ever faced has fallen under. Those three headings. Right? That's it. It's just those three. Okay. Now, those are the three weaknesses. And there are three, I don't know, guns pointed at each of those weaknesses. There are three things trying to attack you through those weaknesses. And they are found in Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. Okay? So, our weaknesses are the chinks in the armor. And we can patch them up, by the way. They don't have to stay chinks. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Okay? So, now... What are the three guns that are aiming for those chinks in the armor? Here they are. As for you, 
Stone at you if you're a Christian. You were dead in your trespasses or transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The ways of this world is enemy number one, okay? Or person attacking you number one. Number two, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Remember, this was another name for Satan. The devil is number two. Number three, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh is number three. The flesh, the world, and the devil are the three things tempting you. But inside, you are already susceptible to being tempted. Because when you look at something, you want it for your flesh, you want it for your eyes, and you want it for your pride. So when either the world or Satan or your own flesh is tempting you, there's something inside you that wants to respond to it, which is our sinful nature. The nature that is not the Spirit of God that He gave you when you became a Christian. When you were born again. You now have two natures in you. You have your old one that you inherited from Adam that wants all this stuff. It doesn't know how to produce anything good. It just wants to take everything evil and just do it. Yeah, I want to watch that movie. I want to go out with that guy. I want to, I want to do this and this and this. And this. Whatever. It just wants to do it. And it loves it. But there's another side of you that's fighting against it. And that's the nature that you got from God. Right? But your flesh, your old nature, is attacking you. The world and its ways. And by the way, it doesn't mean the world like people in the world are your enemies. Jesus came to save those people. That's not the enemy the Bible's talking about. It's talking about the system of the world that is controlled by Satan. That everything is against the way of God. Look, at, You don't have to believe me because I'm reading it, although that's what you should believe. Look at how the world is going. Look at the things that are being preached and encouraged and taught even in your school. Does that seem like a right and good and righteous way to go? The world is hell-bent on going against God's way because the prince of the world is Satan, and he's your third enemy. And he is just going around. Think about yourself as like you're living in the middle of a castle, like an old-school castle with these big walls, and your enemy is going around it just tapping on the wall, tapping on the wall, just looking this bit solid, this bit solid, this bit solid, up. He's greedy. There's his weakness. Bang. Tapping on the wall. Tapping on the wall. Oh, lust. There's his weakness. Bang. Tapping on the wall. Tapping on the wall. Oh, money. There's her weakness. Bang. I'll enter through there. He keeps going round and round, tapping for an entrance. Through any of those three. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Usually it's all three responding at the same time world is giving you temptation, Satan's encouraging the temptation, and your flesh wants to accept the temptation. You understand? You're in a war against those things. A full-blown war. And if you didn't think you were in one, I assure you, you're in one today. You're not just a neutral party in this. Okay? So, let's keep reading. Satan's been wiping the floor with people since Eve. Just been destroying them, left, right, and center. They don't have a chance against him. He's practiced, he's smarter, he is much more powerful than any human being. 
and he's very good at what he does. Until he came up against one person who didn't move or give him an inch, didn't respond at all. We're in a youth group. Well, guess who that person was? There you go. It was Jesus. Luke 4, 1 to 13, describes when Jesus did, when Jesus was, when Satan did to Jesus exactly what he did to Eve. Exactly the same thing. Have a listen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, who's still with me? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. For 40 days, day and night, all Satan did was just say, was just tap on the wall. Right? How about greed? Nah, solid. How about lust? Nah, it's solid. How about money? Nah, it's solid. Gossip. Blah, blah. Went through the whole list that he takes every human being through and he couldn't find a chink. He ate, Jesus ate nothing during those 40 days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And you would be too, right? So Satan says to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And there is him tempting him to do, to fall for weakness number one. The lust of the flesh. I need this. I want this. I have a right to this. In fact, this is good. I'm hungry, and I can turn this into bread right now. What's wrong with that? Not Satan's way. There's God's way, and there's Satan's way. Not this way. This is making yourself God, and Jesus wasn't having any of it. Jesus answered, it is written. Words you should never forget. It is written. That is your sword. That is your shield. That is your grenade launcher. That is your everything. That is your whole arsenal. Your whole armory is those three words. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. Hey, Satan, you think you're telling me this because I'm hungry, and I should just go against God's will to fulfill my needs because I think I'm going to die if I don't. And that's how temptation feels. Unless I watch porn right now, my life will end. It's a lie. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which you read in another gospel. But that's one. The devil, number two, led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant, all showed him, eyes, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. Temptation number two, the lust of the eyes. He's just copying the Garden of Eden. He doesn't have new tricks. We just suck at the old ones. You understand? He doesn't have new ones. And he said to him, I'll give you all the authority and splendor because it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. And what does Jesus say? If you worship me, it will all be yours. Satan says to him, and how does Jesus reply? Jesus answers, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You're telling me that I should bow to you so that you can give me the kingdoms of the world. The Bible doesn't tell me that. It tells me that the only person I bow in front of is God himself, not you. Eve said the right words, but then she believed the lie. Jesus knows the Bible. So does Satan. But Jesus never wavers from believing God. It is written. And you, you notice Satan doesn't keep going with whichever temptation he's doing. He has nothing to say back. He shuts up. 
There's no more ammo for him. It's done. Okay? Then, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... And now Satan starts getting clever. It's like, okay, I'll quote a Bible verse at you too if that's your favorite thing. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Throw yourself off a cliff and God will save you. He loves you. He'll take care of you. Right? They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Which the Bible does say, by the way. Right? Jesus answered, it is said, or it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Not only does he know the word of God, he knows how it's applied. So that if Satan takes it out of context or tries to twist it or use it to lie, he catches him in it and he says, Nuh-uh, that's not what it says. Do you know your Bible? Because Satan doesn't take a break. He doesn't go to sleep. From the moment that you wake up to the moment that you go to sleep, you're getting smashed by attack after attack. Where are your it is written? Do you even know what you're being attacked with? You're getting smashed. That's not who we're called to be. Okay? We've been given weapons for warfare. And those weapons are found here. And we're almost done. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. You can see it's not that much left. Okay? Who's still with me? Respect. For though, talking about us, we live in the world, we do not wage war like the world does. We don't do the Russia-Ukraine thing. Okay? The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the, wo on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is not talking about a physical fight. This is talking about a spiritual fight. There are lies, there are ideas, there are thoughts that want to enslave you again to your sin. That want to drag you away from knowing God more and enjoying Him, living for Him and being free in him and our weapons are designed to tell those things to shut up and to reduce them to rubble because when jesus says it is written satan has no comeback to that it is written is the end of the story right those are the weapons of our warfare and they do work they cast down strongholds everything that satan set up in your life when you find out the truth, that's why Jesus said that. You will know the truth, he says, and the truth shall set you free. This is what that means. You'll start to swing that sword, and all of those things that had a hold on you will start to crumble. With it is written. Let me read you some of Satan's lies. Some of God's replies, right? I like that. I could never do that, okay? Which is a thought that occurs to me all the time. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. I'm worthless. 
Think that all the time. Deuteronomy 14, 2 says the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Am I going to choose the lie or am I going to choose the truth? I'm ugly inside and outside. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in us for advance to do. I'll never be happy. Nehemiah 8.10 The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Every lie that Satan has, God has an answer for. Do you hear me? An answer for every single one of them. And you need to know your Bible so that you can tell the lie from the truth. And that when you start hearing the lie, you can tell it to shut up or that it is written. Those are your weapons. That's what the armory and us being the armory is all about. Is you learning the word of God. You learning what is written. You knowing His promises, because on the door of the armory of God, when you walk through, are it is written, the words it is written, shelves and shelves of truths and promises for every need and for every occasion and for every fight. And you arm yourself with that to the teeth before you go out there. You're going to need it. Why? Because when you became a Christian, you switched sides in the fight. You belong to Satan. You are on his team. You were helping him to destroy everything that God called good before you knew Jesus and before Jesus knew you. But now you switch teams, and because of that, the world, your flesh, and the devil hate and are fighting you. And it turns out you have some chinks and some gaps that you know you're weak in. The lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And every temptation is a variation of one of those. Every temptation of every place. But you know that God has provided a truth to counter the lie for every occasion that you have. When God adopted you as his child, you also became part of his army. That's why we spend time in the barracks, because we're an army. Otherwise, we're civilians. What are we doing? We have a fight, and the fight has been going on before any of us were born and before we were aware. But imagine tomorrow you wake up, middle of the day, you're disoriented, and it's old school. People are wearing greaves and shields and they have swords. And you wake up in the dust and you're naked. You're naked, you have nothing. How safe do you feel? How confident do you feel? How competent do you feel? Don't be naked in the fight. Get some armor and then go out. It's been given to you. This is the last thing that I'll end with. Your mission in the fight isn't actually to win. Hear me out. Jesus has already won the victory. He won it in the Garden of Eden, He won it on the cross. He won, He wins. Sorry, Satan, uh, Satan thought he won in the Garden of Eden. Jesus won on the cross. And it's finished. And whoever Jesus has, Satan can't touch. He can just stand in their way and annoy them and make them very ineffective. That's it. 
So our job isn't to win. That's Jesus' job. And he's doing that, has done that, and will do that. When he comes back, you'll see what that looks like in full, finished, right? Battle's already won. Our job is to stand in the victory that's already been won. You're not fighting to win. You're fighting to just stay standing in it. To keep doing your job, which is just to stand. You don't have to win. That's not on you. That's on Jesus. And he's the one who gives you the victory. You've already been given it. Just stand in it. Stay in it. Don't leave it. Right? And here's the last verse. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Because I don't ever want you to hear something I say and go... Yeah, that's true, because Shad said it. Either now or 50 years from now, I want you to know that everything that's being said comes from here, and you have to see it here first. That's it. Finally, good way to end, right? Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Not your own. You don't have any. You don't stand a chance against Satan. It's about God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, which means if you don't put on the full armor... You won't be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. You're going to get smashed. For our struggle is not against people, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a spiritual fight, not a physical one. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to stand your ground. Don't say anything about winning. Just stand your ground. And after you have done everything, after you've done everything, the end of it is just to stand. There it is. Stay in it. Because it's already yours. Just stay in it. Right? Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth. It is written, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I'm ready to share with anyone who comes. Which is part of the armory. We want to know what we believe and that it's true. And we want to be able to share it with the world around us. And give an answer for the hope that's in us. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. There's only one offensive weapon on the armor. Everything else is for defense. Greaves, a shield, a helmet, they're to stop things. But a sword is to swing at things. And the thing that you swing with is, it is written. The Word of God. It is written. If you remember nothing else from today, it is written. That's your weapon. That's, that's everything in the armory is just, it is written. Okay? So, that's it. We want to be a people who are the lighthouse for the lost, who reflect Jesus in a dark time and in a dark place. We want to be people who are the hospital for the broken. We want to show that we actually care for the world the way that Jesus did and does through us, right? We want to be the barracks for the army. We want to know and actually know what our gifts are and train for the fight together, live together, do life together, go through the ups and downs together. And we want to be armed to the teeth with God's word, so that in your personal battle, alone in your room, as well as when you're in public, at school, here, wherever, you can stand against every lie, against every power that comes against you by God's grace.
just to stay. Okay? Everything that will happen in this youth group will be around these things. Because one day, your leaders will not be here. And you will need to defend yourself. You will need to stand on your own. You will need to be the lighthouse on your own. And the hospital on your own. And you learn that here. By God's grace. Amen? Amen. Yeah.